depression, anxiety, talk about it with me. Strange brain, same page, safe place, therapy is great, and this ain't the same, but we're crying behind sunglasses anyway. Crying behind sunglasses. Hey, 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 sunnies. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. I'm your host, Katie Dahl, and I am so happy to welcome you into my virtual unlicensed therapy office. You know, just think about this as like the glass of wine after your therapy session, because I am not a doctor and this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for therapy or medical advice, but I'm here and I'm so happy to destigmatize these conversations about depression, anxiety, and all the other weird stuff that we're going through. So... Yeah, thanks for being here. And if you're new, welcome. Uh, now on Apple Podcast, instead of the word subscribe, they are now using the term follow. I guess they're trying to be cool. So it's all the same. But if you're on that app, there's a little plus sign. You hit that and then you'll be following and you will get all of the new episodes delivered to your feed when they come out. So do that. And if you're Coming back after listening for a while, thank you so much for making me a part of your self-care routine. I am happy to be with you. And now is just a little bit of me time, you know? It's time for you to let your hair down. It's time for you to just unwind, you know? Uh, I mean, of course, unless you're you're driving, then please keep your eyes on the road. But uh, be relaxed on the inside. You know, you know what I'm saying. You don't need to have that road rage when you're listening to me. We got this. Someone cuts you off. It's fine. Let it go. So today, today's episode. Oh my goodness. This is going to be a good one. I have Jason Robel. So he is best known as a vegan chef. He did a show called How to Live to 100 on the Cooking Channel. He is now hosting, actually co-hosting, a podcast called This Might Get Uncomfortable with his co-host Whitney Lauritsen, and it helps you to navigate your mental health and elevate your well-being. It's pretty cool. And they co-founded a company called Wellvader that's also kind of in that same zone, you know? And this episode, we go through a lot of different things. We talk about, of course, veganism. How does vegan food affect our brains? And is a vegan diet for you? We, he talks about how he got into it age 18 and well went on to become a very well-known vegan chef. We talk about a motorcycle accident that changed his outlook on life. He's going through a lot of patience and healing and surrendering to your body, you know, allowing yourself to do what you can do within those limitations and being at peace with that and accepting what has happened so that we can move forward. And we also talk about one of my favorite topics, which is how do you quiet all of those negative voices in your head? Lots of really great content in today's episode. Very excited to share it with you. And before we get there, just a few little announcees. One, Avi, if you're not already following me on Instagram, it's at Katie Doll, or the podcast is at Crying Behind Pod. So that's how you will get to hear all of the news as it comes in. But I want to let you all know to please save the date for July 17th. 
big announcement for all of my loyal sunnies. People have been asking me to start providing more bonus content. And people have been asking me to see the full video versions of this podcast and to just have more of that intimate time because I was hosting a lot of these open rooms for people's mental health on Clubhouse and also on Zoom. And so I'm really excited to announce July 17th, save the date. We are launching a Patreon. That's right. We are getting into full-on bonus content. It's really exciting. I'm just... I, what is the right word for it? I don't know. It's like a little kid looking forward to Christmas. That's how I feel about this Patreon launch. I don't have a really cute name for it yet, so we're workshopping it. You know, something with sunglasses, something about crying, maybe a crying circle. Come come join my crying circle. <laughs> but what you're going to get is basically we're going to have ad-free audio versions of all of my episodes. We will have full video versions of the episodes on there, not just the little video clips that I post on Instagram. I'm talking like full hour to hour and a half long episodes will be video. So that's really exciting. Also, I will have a monthly Q&A that is exclusive for the people in this Patreon slash crying circle slash whatever it is we're going to call it. And in those calls, I will be leading guided meditations, giving journal prompts, and doing a little Q&A so we can all share our feelings. Each month we'll have a different theme regarding mental health. And I'm just so, so excited. I feel like I'm overusing that word, but I'm excited to serve the community in this way and be able to create an even more intimate connection with you all. Um, there will also be, once I figure it out, um, a private Discord server where you will all be able to have that community connection and that community support that could be anonymous instead of having it on Facebook, which we do have a Facebook support group right now, but I know there are a lot of people who quit Facebook and there are a lot of people who just want a little bit more anonymity when they are sharing the deep, dark secrets of their lives. So I think that is a really cool thing that I will be able to provide for you. Anyway, that is the big announce that I had for you all. And without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses. I'm your host, Katie Dahl. And today's guest, we've got something a little bit different for you. He is a chef that's been on the cooking channel. He is the host of the podcast, This Might Get Uncomfortable. He's a coach. He's very into wellness in general. He's founded a company called Wellevator. Please welcome Jason Robel. Hey, Katie. <laughs> it's good to be here. Good to see you. <laughs> so... I have to ask you, since you've, you've stepped into my virtual unlicensed therapy office, mental health check-in, how, how are we feeling today? I appreciate you leading with that. It's really interesting. I, I, when we first got on the pre-show banter, I was telling you it was like a roller coaster. And yes. today I have been feeling pretty, pretty mentally exhausted. It's, you know, it's so weird because I feel like every day it's like, oh, what do we get today in terms of our mental health adventure? Yeah. yeah. And like, and like, you know, <laughs> yesterday I felt pretty good today. It was like, I'm feeling like I'm meditating way too much on mm. the potential future disastrousness of the human species. I was telling my girlfriend and, and I'm normally, a, I, I think 
a pretty baseline positive guy, but I've had really just disturbing thoughts lately for me, disturbing for me of feeling like I'm becoming a misanthrope. Like I'm becoming so like as a result of this pandemic, uh, the needle for me has swung from like being an extrovert to being like massively introverted now (laughs) and feeling like, I don't know. The long answer, Katie, is I feel like I'm losing faith in humanity and that frightens me. Oh no. Well, let's figure out if we can turn that around for you today. <laughs> I gave you just like the most blunt answer. No, I'm I losing love it. my faith I, in humanity. I love the honesty. And also I wanted to make sure I was responding to you correctly. So I Googled the definition of misanthrope while you were talking yes. uh, for my listeners, uh, for my sonnies out there, a person who dislikes humankind <laughs> <laughs> and avoids human society. If we were you to use it in a sentence, according to, uh, I don't know, dictionary.com or the Oxford dictionary, Scrooge wasn't the mean spirited misanthrope. Most of us believe him to be. (laughs) You're Scrooge. I I love that. I love that. Now my sentiment is being lumped in with the persona of Ebenezer Scrooge. I mean, what more can a guy ask for? Like, I really never thought that would happen, that I would be mentioned in the same context as Ebenezer. It's, but here we are. Yeah, well, see, this is exciting. Like you said, you wake up, you don't know what you're going to feel like. Life is a roller coaster. And this is this is what's next for you. This is the next chapter. This is your Scrooge period. <laughs> I feel like I need to get like, just what are those onesies called where they had the, the buttons in the back where you could poop? Like a hundred years ago in the 1920s, when you would see images of people going to bed in their night attire, their evening attire, often they'd be wearing like a onesie, but they'd have the buttons in the back so that the butt flap could go down so that they didn't have to take the whole onesie off when they went to the restroom. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, think need one. Those, I think those still exist on Amazon. I think Do they? It's just called a onesie. But specifically that have the flap in the back. I feel I, like that's more rare. I'm no? pretty sure. I mean, I'm going to look it up and put it in the episode guide. I'll find it for you, Jason. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you find it, here's what I'm going to do. I want to get okay. one. You send okay. me the link. And then <laughs> when we promo this episode, mm-hmm. I'm just going to do like a copper tone baby pose with my butt cheeks hanging out of the flap and be like, listen to the new episode of Crying Behind Sunnies. Wow. We could do that as a promo piece, right? I mean, I Anything's possible, Jason. I, we'll, we'll order matching ones. We'll, we'll do a side by side. Who wore it better? It's gonna be. It's gonna be great. Perfect. <laughs> well, I understand what you're saying, though. I think with the the isolation, it has been easy to get used to just not seeing people or like being in that cocoon and taking those little baby steps to get back into society. It's really scary. So- yeah, it, it's like a combination of missing concerts missing birthday parties, missing all those things, but then a feeling of like terror. And I don't use that word lightly. I use that word really intentionally, you know, of, of I feel like I'm a container for a lot of duality, seemingly a, like I miss the parties and going to shows and playing live music and all of it. But at the same time, the thought of it terrifies me, like being around even like a semi-large group of people, I start to feel a lot of anxiety. And I, I've never really felt that before. As I mentioned, I always kind of viewed myself as a mostly an extrovert. And for the first time in this, whatever post-pandemic world's going to be, it's weird to feel anxiety when I think about being with a group of people. That's new for me. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that because I'm also an extrovert. And I found that as I start to do little hangs, like I'll go get dinner with a friend that I haven't seen in a year, you know, after a few hours of socializing, I feel exhausted. 
completely wow. drained, you know, whereas I think in general before it would really excite me and invigorate me. I would be inspired. And I think I still get kind of inspired by it, but there's an exhaustion level with socializing that is kind of weird and new for me. So I, I can relate to that. I don't know if I have as much fear about it. I think the only fear really is the whole like being in a big group of people and nobody's got a mask on. And even if logically I know like, oh, we're all vaccinated, it's fine. It just feels weird. It feels like we're all naked together. <laughs> You know, I've never heard it put that way. That's so funny. You're just looking around at a bunch of vaccinated nudity. Interesting. And here we are at the Rose Bowl watching you too. Yeah. Face nudity. Oh my God. It's so funny. You mentioned that because I I've been going to physical therapy for five months now. I had a motorcycle accident last November, which was Mm. a whole interesting alternate reality. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. I'm glad I'm alive. I appreciate you saying that. And also knowing people friends and acquaintances who've been in motorcycle accidents and knowing how how brutal and extreme those injuries can be. I feel like I walked away relatively whole as a result of that. But in these five months, I've been going to see this doctor down in uh, Costa Mesa, mm-hmm. really, really great guy and worth the drive. You know, it's, it's a, it's a hike. It's a hike from LA to Costa Mesa. So I'd never seen his face before, right? I've only, I'd only seen, you know, his yeah, eyes, just, just his eyeballs. And he he took his mask down a couple of weeks ago to take a drink of water after our PT session. And I just, I had this moment of laughing inside because his face didn't look how I thought his face was going to look. And I had to check myself. I'm like, well, how did you think his face was going to look? I had this whole thing in my mind of like the, the top half of his head for me, like thought, I thought it was going to give me certain physical cues. And I was like, wow, he's got really tiny lips. I didn't, they were like really tiny lips. And I had this whole dialogue in my mind of how the back, the bottom of his head didn't, didn't look like what I thought it was going to look like. It yeah, was just you, a really it, funny moment. Well, cause you had filled in the blank with whatever you thought, like facial hair, no facial hair, big nose, little nose, whatever. You had basically done like a half of a Mr. Potato Head on him. <laughs> you know, put it together in your brain and that just did not match up. And Completely. you're like, what? <laughs> and like, also oh, you like, tiny you've known him, yeah. And you've known him for five months and he's working on your body. It's kind of an intimate relationship to not have even seen his face. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, if you're going to like put your hands there, sir, at least I can see who I'm working with. Please uh, be a gentleman. What happened to this motorcycle accident? It's so funny because what's well, it's funny now because I'm alive and I can talk about it. Um, yes. I suppose in one sense, Katie, I had a little, yeah, I'm going to own it. I had a little bit of hubris as a rider and the hubris was that I had been riding for 21 years, never had an accident, never even had a close call. Just really like, I, I wasn't reckless in my driving, but I felt, I felt very confident. I felt very safe. I wasn't doing any of the the you know kind of idiotic things I was doing in my early 20s and survived all that. It was just very slow, very conscientious riding. Anyway, I'm up in Montecito Heights in the neighborhood here in LA. Yeah. And it's as you know, you know, gorgeous views of downtown, beautiful clear Sunday. I take my eyes off the road for you know like 3 seconds. I'm like, "Oh, isn't that a beautiful view of downtown?" And I look <laughs> back and I'm deeper into this left turn than I thought I was going to be. Right. I'm like in the turn and I'm going way too fast. Mm. So I slam on the brakes because I'm too fast in the turn and the bike literally just comes out from under me. I go off road. 
I was so wearing your a body flies off of the the bike. Yes, and the bike goes off the road. Okay. And I'm laying there on my side. And it's this moment of, did that really, okay, that just happened because the weird thing was, and I, I don't know if you've been in any kind of, you know, car accident or, or motor vehicle accident. Sure. Have you, have yes. you before? I mean, I'm, I'm an LA native, so I lived it's, through <laughs> several car accidents before even age 18. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. witnessed, I witnessed one motorcycle accident on the 405 and I never forgot it because those are the most brutal. There's just, I mean, even if you're wearing your leathers and your helmet, there's nothing between you, your body and the road. Totally. So, I mean, totally. yeah, I've never, I, I've never one time I rode on the back of a motorcycle or like a few times the back of a scooter, but I don't think I would ever actually get a license and drive a motorcycle myself just after witnessing that one accident. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's funny because like now my friends are like, oh, when are you going to get back on the bike? When are you going to do it again? And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I would like my body to be fully repaired before mm -hmm. I do that. But when it was happening though, what the reason I asked you about an accident was it's that cliche of like feeling as if it's happening in slow motion. Yes. And I remember having the thought of, I can correct this. Mm. Like it was happening so slow in my mind that I overcompensated and had a moment where I'm like, I saved myself and then realized the bike kept sliding. I was like, you didn't save yourself. Oh <laughs> shit. So it went from like feeling like I've got this. I, Oh God. And then bracing for the moment. Cause in my mind, I'm like, you're about to crash. Like it was the realization yeah. and then realizing I couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. You and just that, had to let, let it happen. Surrender. Right. Which is such a weird feeling. So long story short, I, I shattered my clavicle in five pieces, Oof. broke ribs, uh, and dislocated my shoulder. So the interesting thing is the ribs and the clavicle healed pretty quickly, mm -hmm. but it's the first time I've ever had like a major shoulder injury and shoulder it's just taken so long to heal. So long to heal. So that's the main thing that you're going to PT for. Yeah. It's like six to eight months. So I'm five months in and hopefully, hopefully by my birthday, I'll be gifted with a, I don't even know. <laughs> I was going to say like, give me a cyborg shoulder, but I'm hoping that by July, by my birthday, it'll be like as close to normal as possible. That's the best that we can hope for. And, you know, I found also in my own life, when I deal with an injury that there, there is an aspect of surrender in that as well. If we're talking about this, just from like a mental health perspective of, oh, well, I have to accept what my new limitations for my body are and not try to fight against it, not try to do all the things that I used to be able to do and just like listen to my body and do what, what I'm able to do. How know? did you, how did you navigate that though? Because I found that I well, in terms of mental health too, it was great for showing me the barriers I had put up, right. In the sense that my girlfriend, Laura, it was tough being injured with COVID and recovering from surgery because people yeah. can't visit you, right? Mm. So I had to surrender to the fact that, for instance, in the first like month or so, I couldn't get myself out of bed to pee in the middle of the night. And my girlfriend, you know, it was like, oh God, I've got to wake her up at three in the morning. I got to pee. I feel so awful. I feel so helpless. That was tough for my ego, right? Of just like, dude, you have to accept help. So in those moments for you, Katie, like, did you face any of those things or like what yeah. challenges mentally did you face in terms of like being incapacitated? Probably the worst injury I've had as an adult that like really affected me is carpal tunnel. I used to do freelance video editing for several years. I've recently gotten out of it. Thank God. Although, Hey, listen, if anybody out there is about to hire me for a video editing job sometime in the future, I don't hate it. I just got burnt out. <laughs> Who knows? 
I might go back to it, but it gave me an injury because I was just doing a lot of back-to-back video editing gigs and a lot of repetitive stress injury to my right wrist and hand to the point where I couldn't use it. I was icing it, you know, and it really sucked because I used to teach yoga and I've always been really passionate about yoga. And that's been, I remember at the time when I first got that injury, it was really frustrating for me because my main form of exercise that I was doing was hot yoga. And Mm -hmm. the main thing that you do when you're in yoga is downward facing dog, which what is that? Oh, you're putting your hand on the ground and putting a lot of strain on your wrist, or you're doing chaturangas again, hands in a very specific position that is not good for carpal tunnel. And so it was very humbling for me because I had to do a lot of modifications to poses where I felt like, oh, like I used to be the advanced practitioner and now I'm having to do something on my elbows or I have to wear tape every time I go to class or I need to actually find new forms of exercise. Like that's how I got into Pilates because I hurt my wrist so much. I was like, oh, Pilates, they don't really make you do those same poses and you're on a reformer the whole time. And you can actually get a really good workout and it doesn't bother that part. So it was a a little bit of a blessing in disguise. Like, would I want to have that injury again? No, it still flares up to this day, but I think it humbled me a lot and it helped me to discover new things. So that's kind of like the silver lining of it all. But I'd be lying if I said that it wasn't really frustrating and upsetting because other people can just sit there on their trackpad all day, flicking their thumb back and forth and nothing even happens to them. I'm like, why me? Right, right, right. That's the question though, right? And that question too can take, I feel, take us into so many areas of life, right? I mean, de- depending on, I suppose, your spiritual beliefs or your religious beliefs or whatever you believe in, it's like, yeah. oh, why, why, like, I'm trying to undo my tendency to find meaning in everything. I kind of have this weird obsession that I'm undoing of like, well, you need need to find the meaning in this. It can't be meaningless. Life has to have meaning. It can't just be this chaotic void of meaninglessness. But Uh I feel like sometimes like with your injury or what happened on the motorcycle, it's like you took your eyes off the road for three seconds, dude. Like, was God trying to tell me something? I, I find that, I don't know, sometimes my search for meaning or the why me question I don't know that I find many answers when I ask it. I mean, listen, you know? sometimes shit just happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. we just have to deal with it. I mean, I, I think it's part of the human condition to want to attach meaning to everything. And I think that a lot of things happen for a reason. But sometimes when a tragic event happens or an accident happens, it's really hard to figure out why. And it's better just to, instead of trying to figure out why something happened to just say like, okay, let's accept that it happened and let's see how we can move forward. Yeah. I think you just sparked something totally new that I've never actually put together. Yeah. Which what is, is that? I think that this obsession I have with attaching meaning to things, which I agree with you, I think is, is definitely part of the intrinsic human condition. Mm-hmm. For me, I think it might be a way for me to push away accepting the what is of a moment. Because like, oh, I need to find the meaning. I need to find the meaning, which is sort of like this defense mechanism against just accepting that it happened and moving on. Mm-hmm. And I've never put that together before. Hey, I'm happy to provide a little aha moment for you. That's like a little <laughs> baby light bulb, little baby light bulb going off. Seriously, yeah. though, that, that's that's really interesting. Well, yeah, because if you think about it, like if you're trying to stay in the moment. And if all you're doing in your brain is replaying this event over and over again, trying to figure out why it happened, how it happened how you could have prevented it, how it could have been better or worse, et cetera, et cetera. You're stuck in the past. 
Totally. And I'm not saying it's not good to analyze things. I think it's great. I journal all the time or like I'll, you know, you go to therapy, you talk about things that have happened to you. I don't think it's bad, but I think you could balance it with just looking at what your current reality is and just saying like, yeah, that happened. (laughs) (laughs) It seems a lot easier that way. Honestly, it does. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Sonny's. So if you're tuning into this podcast and you've made it this far into the episode, I would have to guess that you probably have heard of the concept of therapy, right? But there are so many barriers to get there. There's a lot of red tape with your insurance company or with calling doctors that are not accepting new patients or just even the idea of taking that first step to figure it out and get the help that you need. So I'm really happy to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and they are the best online provider of online counseling. So what exactly does that involve? If you log on to betterhelp.com slash cryingbehindpod, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, then you will get 10% off your first month. And when you sign up, they will take you through a whole quiz that asks you about your gender identity and your mental health issues, what kind of therapy you want, what gender you would like the therapist to be, what you want them to specialize in. You can choose to speak to them through video or email or chat or just a regular old phone call. However you want to do your therapy, it is up to you. So with this quiz, they match you with a qualified therapist really quickly. And these are actual therapists. These are not just random bots on the internet. They have thousands of hours of experience and they are certified, they're trained, they're ready to help you. So if you want to go get help, there's no better time than now, okay? Go to betterhelp.com slash cryingbehindpod and you'll get 10% off your first month. Quick subject change because this is something I really wanted to bring up with you and we have not covered on the show yet, which okay. I don't know. I'm almost a year into the show. How did I not cover this? I don't know. Probably because my diet is different than yours and so I don't think about it that much, but you are a very well-known vegan chef. And I want to know your opinions and thoughts about the idea of going vegan and also does that help people with their overall mental health? Like, are there benefits to that or not? I mean, because I was Googling a lot of articles and it seems like people are very polarized on this issue. Some people say that it hurts you and you're not getting enough nutrients. I know for myself, I tried going veggie or vegan a few times gave it a really good go, did all Mm -hmm. the supplements, did all the the correct things. And for me, my energy was never high enough during those moments. So I don't know, maybe I'm doing it all wrong, even though I thought I did all the research, but I'm curious, what do do you think that veganism is good for people's mental health? I think it's an individual thing. Okay. I really, I really do. I want to say that before I get into some of the more details of the questions you covered is I think the important thing when it comes to diet and nutrition, what we put in our bodies is that it is very much tailored to our individual journeys. Mm-hmm. For me, I've been living this way. Oh my God. I need to think back since 1998. Okay. What part of your life were you in? Were you high school, college, Younger. Uh, yeah, I was 20 years old. So I was okay. in my I was in my second year of college mm-hmm. uh, in Detroit where I grew up. 
And it was, it was this interesting journey when my grandfather died of cancer, he had cancer for the second time and he was Mm -hmm. passing away. It did some, it did this really interesting thing when I was 18, where I, I started to kind of zoom out from his lifestyle and look kind of looking at my family and how they were living. And we were all eating junk food and eating tons of processed food and smoking and drinking and chewing tobacco and all the things. And it was like, wow, this is this is kind of a wake-up call. I didn't know it at the moment, right? I was I didn't have that framework on it. But if I look back on my grandfather dying, it was really this this moment where I had an opportunity to kind of look at how I was living as a young man and say, you know what? I actually don't feel good. I'm doing all these things. I'm putting all this stuff in my body. I have, I have all these, I don't know, we can call them vices or not, but I suppose they could be lumped in that category. Mm-hmm. And I remember just taking this inventory of going, dude, you're 18 years old and you feel like shit. And I'm like, how am I 18? I can't 18 years old. I feel this crappy. So I remember just doing all of this as an experiment. I didn't have a goal of being vegan. That wasn't at all the framework, but I just started to gradually take out the processed food and stop smoking, stop drinking alcohol, like not really totally alcohol. And yeah, I didn't actually quit all my drugs. Anyway, it was more. But you were, you were trying, <laughs> you, you were trying to reduce the amount of random shit that you're putting in your body for lack totally. of a better term. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Detroit. Okay. And yeah, so I just wanted the, to make a picture here. So the, yeah. and your grandpa was there. Yeah. And my, most of my family is still back in Detroit and in the nineties in Detroit, if there was even any inclination of like, Oh, you're, you're going to be a vegetarian. And then, so basically what happened was after about almost three years, I went from being, you know, standard American diet, tons of junk food, tons of processed food, all those habits to standing in my mom's kitchen. And I said, mom, I have something to tell you. She's like, what? I said, I looked at her and I was like, I think I'm vegan now. It was so (laughs) weird to even say it because Again, I didn't have a goal. I just remember like taking out the processed stuff and taking out dairy and the more stuff I took out and replaced it with fresh fruits, vegetables, beans, grains, like I was doing it really healthy. I just felt better and better. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just never looked back. It was this weird, like finding my way through it very clumsily. And my mom said, okay, well, if you're going to do it, just make sure you're doing it in a healthy way. Like research the nutrients, research the supplements, eat a balanced diet. And that's just really how the journey began. But the point about Detroit in the 90s is like people thought I was in a cult. People thought I was going to leave on the mothership and go to a different planet. They're like, what the hell is vegan? What the hell even is that? And your mom Uh, felt that way too. It seems like she was pretty accepting about it. She was. My mom was totally cool. And then literally four months later, she went vegan. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so my mom's in her most probably shouldn't say her age. My mom is quite a bit older than I, and she's doing great on it too. But we were kind of relentless about researching, like, how do we do this in a healthy way? Because like what you were researching, Katie, we saw a lot of articles back in the early days of the internet that were like, oh, but you need your B12 and you need your D3 and you need your K2 and all these nutrients. And so we were especially adamant about making sure that we could do it and do it in a way that was going to sustain ourselves. Yeah. And something that's safe too, because you don't want to like in the pursuit of better health, somehow make yourself less healthy or put yourself in jeopardy. I feel like that happens a lot. I feel like, you know, oh, well, if in veganism, I'll throw in this category too. I feel like diet culture is so toxic Mm -hmm. for so many reasons. And I think one of the biggest reasons is like, well, if you want to be healthy, you need to be vegan. If you want to be healthy, you need to be paleo or keto or fruitarian or breatharian or whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's so much zealousness in the wellness industry 
that people will find a practice that works for them and then evangelize it as if all humanity needs to do it, right? So like, even though veganism feels great for my body, I've never and will never preach from the mountaintop of like, everyone needs to do this. I think it's an individual journey and we are all in a constant process of evolution and finding what works for us. So I think it's great if it works for you. And I also think it's important to acknowledge the nuances with every person and what's going to work for them as, as an individual. Yeah. It's- well, I really appreciate you saying that because I think that a lot of vegans get a bad rap because there's always that old joke. How can you tell that there's a vegan at the party? And it's like, oh, don't worry. They'll tell you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they will let you know with a, without any provocation. <laughs> um, that's obviously like the extreme of any subculture who is going to get out there and proselytize or evangelize or whatever word you want to use for it and say like, oh, well, this is the only way because this is the thing I'm doing. I'm better than everyone else. And if you don't do this, then you're a bad person. I think regardless of what the lifestyle choice is, I'm going to run really far away from someone who tries to say that to me. So I appreciate you being open-minded because for me, I'm lactose intolerant, so I don't eat dairy, but I eat pretty much everything else in some sort of moderation. I know that the meat industry obviously has an impact on the environment, so I try not to like eat animal protein with every meal. But yeah, like I said, I when I tried doing the vegan or veggie thing, Uh, besides the whole like inconvenient thing, which is just, you know, life of going out to eat and, you know, having to figure all that out. For some reason, my body chemistry, it just wasn't really, it wasn't really working for my energy levels. So, but I know that for some people it does. And so I appreciate that. I mean, do you think that it has anything to do with people's blood types or what, what do you think it is? I don't. So the blood type thing, I just, I want to, I want to talk about that for a second because I respect the principle of Peter Adamo's work. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has enough clinical data or peer-reviewed research behind the blood type to make it something that I take seriously. And I've clashed over the years with so many people about this, uh, vegans included, who are like, you need to eat your AB negative. You need to eat for AB negative. And I'm like, no, but there's there's too much anecdotal evidence that goes against the blood type. Like, for instance, type O are supposed to, like, you have to eat, quote, you have to eat meat if you're type O. Really? And I know several vegan doctors who are type O who've been so for decades and they're like, yeah, no, I'm type O and I'm, I'm vegan and I'm okay. So the blood type thing I think is contentious for, for a few reasons. I do think though, genetically, there is something to, I think the idea of ancestral diet, eating mm. things that our genetics have been shown for thousands of years. Like, and maybe this is an excuse for me to eat as many potatoes as possible. Are you Irish? No, part of my lineage is Polish, Eastern okay. European. And we're getting tangential here. It's really funny. I love so it. I, I did the 23 and me <laughs> thing, right? And yes. so 23 and me, it was like, oh yeah. Okay. Eastern European. Okay. Poland. Okay. Dad, Puerto Rican and Spanish. We knew that. Great, great, great. Okay, cool. We got on. Oh, Italian. We didn't know about it. We didn't know about Italian. Interesting. Like that came up. And then another thing, which was very funny for all of my Jewish friends, Ashkenazi Jew, like 12%. And then I text all of my Jew. I'm like, guys, guess what? You were right. They're like, yeah. Dude, we and I call Welcome my mom. To the tribe, by the way. Thank you. And I call my mom, and I'm like, "Mom, I just did my 23andMe. Did you did you know we're Ashkenazi Jew?" She's like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." I'm like, "What is this nonchalant react? What do you mean that makes sense?" Well, it does because your if your family is from Eastern Europe, there's a lot of Jewish immigrants that landed over there. 
Totally. I think I think I just wanted my mom to be like, amazing. We're gonna have like a very delayed bar mitzvah for you. It didn't get didn't no, get. no, no. <laughs> I was trying to I was trying to push that through. But I think the ancestral thing about looking at our genetics is part of it. And I think the other thing too is honoring the fact that we're gonna eat differently for our body's needs throughout our lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. It's like as we age, if we need more magnesium or calcium for our bone structure, our heart health, then we need to eat foods that are more rich in magnesium, right? And our, our need, my needs at 44 are very different than they were at 24, right? Absolutely. So I'm eating differently now, even though it's still plant-based and vegan, I, the things I eat are very different than I did when I was 24. So I think a lot of this, Katie, is just experimentation. We've got to be willing to experiment and listen to our bodies because I think a lot of times it's like, oh no, but I have, like I said, have to be vegan, have to be paleo, have to be this. And I was doing the raw food thing when that was big in LA. Like when the hell was that big in LA? Like 2008, everyone's a raw foodist. Yeah. And I did the raw food thing. And after a few years of doing it, I was like, I feel like crap. Interesting. I do not feel good. And so I stopped eating raw because my body was telling me, Jason, you, you can't, dude, you can't do this. So I think we really have to be mindful of listening to our bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also what you are putting into your body, being mindful about it. I think that's a good practice within reason, of course, like not getting into like eating disorder territory of obsessing over every single calorie, but being mindful of like, okay, I had this, it made me feel like this. Do I want to keep putting that into my body? Do I like, cause you're having an energetic exchange with the food that you're, you're eating. And just being mindful about that is is a good practice or even allowing yourself to enjoy things and slow down. I've I've read a lot of studies about like how when you're eating to focus on just eating and enjoying it instead of eating while you are watching TV or eating while you're doing a bunch of other stuff, like obviously eating and sitting and talking with someone. I don't know if that counts as multitasking, but I feel like if you're eating while you're doing work, a lot of times you just don't pay attention. So I think that's, yeah. that's a good practice as well, just to kind of be mindful. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Like, I feel like you, in those moments you get through the meal and I've done this more times than I can probably count. And then I don't even remember tasting the food. Mm. I'll look at the bottom of the bowl and be like, wait a second. <laughs> I don't even remember what this. Did, okay. It's, it's weird. It's like an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be swiping my phone, looking at Instagram, watching YouTube videos, and then all of a sudden the food's gone. It's like I didn't even, in, and that's I didn't even enjoy the meal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just, it's just, you just ate it. You're just like, okay, I put gas in the car. Fine. Gone. Done. Done. Yeah. That's so funny. Did it affect your like your overall mood? I mean, obviously, it was a while ago when you changed your diet up, so this might be hard to like reflect on. But did you notice a big a change in your mood? Did you have any issues with any sort of like depression or anxiety that were helped? Yeah. So here's the the plot twist. In 2014, I was in a really, really kind of awful place in my life Mm -hmm. and was struggling with a lot of suicidal ideation and extreme, extreme depression. And I went to go see a functional medicine doctor here in LA. Shout out to Dr. Alan Green. He was like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to run some blood panel tests and we're going to do a neurotransmitter test for your brain chemicals. I said, okay. So we got the results back. He said, you're clinically depressed. Mm. Like your, your, your brain neurochemistry is shot. So here's the thing, like cue the, ah, like, and I've heard people like, well, you were vegan. Of course you were depressed. 
the reality was, if I look back at that phase in my life, it's when I was, I was shooting my TV series on the cooking channel. Yes. And as a fellow actor, you know, like the, the, you know, shoot days can be brutal, right? You're on set, you're doing it. I wasn't really taking good care of myself. Here I am hosting this show about health and wellness, and I'm not even taking my own fucking advice. Yeah. Yeah. The show is called how to live to a hundred. Yeah. And you're just like killing yourself. <laughs> trying to put yourself through okay. to uh, everything that is needed to be able to host this show. Completely. And so part of it is like the shooting schedule and the promo and and the press tours. And I'm not getting sleep. I'm not drinking enough water. I'm just shoveling food in my face where I can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on camera talking about, yeah, and you need to get enough sleep and drink enough water. And I'm not fucking doing it. Mm. Um, and so it was just this really radical spiral of not taking care of myself for a long period of time. So I've adjusted, I've adjusted some things since that diagnosis. And and I still, to be blunt, I mean, I, I still struggle with suicidal ideation. I still struggle at times with feeling really depressed. I don't go as low as I used to seven years ago, right? It's not to the depths that I used to go to. And it's because like I cut out a lot of even vegan junk food. That's the thing too, is people I think assume that once you go vegan, you're this bastion of health, but I was eating a ton of junk food and fried food and, you know, Oreos are vegan, right? Like I can eat a pack of Oreos and that's vegan. You could have French fries. You could have a frozen vegan pizza. You could have one of my favorites, buffalo cauliflower. Mm, So good. (laughs) It's so good, right? And you can eat all that and you're vegan, but is it? Is it good for you? uh, Is it good for you? Not really, right? And so (laughs) I'm pounding down all this heavy food. And all this inflammatory food, like you asked about how diet affects mental health. There, there's this really interesting book that came out a couple of years ago called The Inflamed Mind. Oh, and, and in this book, The Inflamed Mind, he talks about the link between inflammation in the body and the brain. That when we engage in really inflammatory practices, like you know, eating processed food, eating junk food, eating fried foods, smoking, drinking, not getting enough sleep, like things that really keep our body in a state of pretty consistent inflammation, that that has in his research, looking at the connection between mental health issues when you have inflammation in the body. So I've just been more mindful of not being punitive with myself. Like I love a basket of tater tots and a, and a, and a burger from now, you know, time to time, but I'm not pounding those things every day like I used to. And so I think being mindful of reducing the inflammatory foods that I'm eating, like I've tried to reduce my sugar. Sugar is kind of like my Achilles heel. I love me some sweets, but I know that when I eat less of those foods, Katie, I do feel better mentally. Yeah. So that's part of it. I mean, cause you get that momentary reward. I'm a chocoholic. I understand, but if you're o- overloading with it too much, first off, it's not special anymore. You know, right, so right. you don't like it's, you're just kind of like, okay, I get this all the time. It's not a special reward. And secondly, yeah, you don't, you don't feel good after. So then what's the point? Right. It's almost (laughs) like at that point, I think the cliche phrase too much of a good thing is really true. Hmm. You know, we have these things that bring us pleasure, but I think if we overdo it, we're really kind of compromising our brain chemistry. I mean, it's one, I think it's one of the reasons why social media is so addicting, right? Is because we get that initial dopamine hit Mm -hmm. and then we associate that thing with the dopamine. And so you're forever chasing it. You're forever chasing that first high. Totally. (laughs) <laughs> and food, food, chocolate's the same way. It's funny you bring up chocolate because that's my thing is after like the first two or three squares of the bar, because mm-hmm. I'd be the dude and I, I still am that dude. I'd be, I am that dude who will polish off a bar in one sitting. 
Oh, or wow. I'll get like the Haagen-Dazs, whatever, non, whatever, non-dairy Haagen-Dazs, whatever the hell, Ben and Jerry's. And I'll eat the whole pint of ice cream. I don't care. Like, no shame. But I notice, you know, like you said, after the th- first three, four bites, there's a diminishing return where the pleasure quotient kind of drops off a cliff. Yeah. So yeah. it's so mindful. I It's so good to be mindful. I think of not overindulging, indulge, but not overindulge. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, it's funny. Like I have a little bit of a sweet tooth, not too much. I've always been really good about moderating my chocolate intake. Even when I was a kid, like my parents would give me a box of chocolates and I would eat one or two a day until they were gone. I would never eat the whole box in one sitting or like Halloween candy, for example, my brother and I would go trick or treating and I'm competitive. So I would try to get the most candy just because I wanted to win. Yeah. But like we would get home and I wouldn't even really eat half of it. You know, I just wanted to be the best (laughs) at something. (laughs) Just so stupid. And another thing that I was thinking about when you're talking about the inflammation and how everything is connected. Something else about my brother, he has epilepsy and autism. And so there's just like a lot of different things that I've learned throughout the journey of being his sister and being his advocate. And something I did not know until a few years ago, which this might not be the case for every epileptic person out there. So this is not medical advice. This is purely anecdotal in our situation. For Chad, I know that if his immune system is fighting off something else, it puts him at a risk for a seizure which is really wild. So like if he gets a sore throat or a cold or if he's stressed, that is a risk factor for him with his brain chemistry. So I wonder if that could also be the case for these other things that we deal with. Like for me, I have anxiety, panic attacks. Like if my body's feeling a lot more run down and I'm not taking care of myself or if I'm sick, is that a risk factor where I'm going to be more triggered and more likely to have a panic attack? I don't know. It's just an interesting thing to think about. It is. And and how our lives, including our bodies, are not something that are like easily compartmentalized. As you said, everything seems to be interrelated. And it's interesting how much information we have about the human body. And yet there's so much we don't understand. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the reason I brought this up is because I remember talking to his neurologist about it and talking to the people at the ER uh, one time when he was in there. And he had had a sore throat and then he had this seizure and they were like, oh yeah, well, when he, because his immune system was busy fighting off this other infection, it didn't have as much energy to fight off this seizure. I just was like, this is wild. I, did, I never knew these things were connected at all, but of course they are. They're all happening within the same body. Now, as a result, has he, since that connection was made, does he take like a different kind of immune boosters? Is his eating regime different? Like what, what does he do to make sure that his immune system is kind of bolstered at all times? He's very into eating healthy. He loves like, it's interesting because he kind of, he stopped eating fast food. He stopped drinking sodas. He's not vegetarian, but he does try to incorporate a lot more vegetables. I remember when Bob Hope was still around and Bob Hope to live to be, I think a hundred or 101. My brother was always like, I want to live to be as old as Bob Hope. So I'm going to eat all my vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) Bob Hope was the one that like of all people, that's amazing. That was what he picked. I don't know. That was his inspiration. Great. I love it. I love it. So, and I think it's because we always heard stories about him growing up. Long story, but my dad used to be a lawyer and Bob Hope was one of his clients. That's how old my dad is. Uh, And he would always say that like up until the very end, Bob Hope was still tap dancing down the stairs to greet him. In his hundreds. In his hundreds. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and that's incredible. And I think what he used to say, which I found very inspirational, people would say like, why are you still dancing around? You're old. Like you should be careful. He said, you know what? If I stop moving, I'm going to die. I got to keep moving. I think that's very true. Honestly, that's a great life <laughs> philosophy. It is. It's yeah. a great. It's a great life philosophy. Yeah. So anyway, back to the veganism that we were, we were discussing. Total, complete tangent. If someone is looking to get into it for whatever these reasons are, like mm-hmm. if they're maybe uh, they care about animals or they care about their health or the state of the environment, whatever it is, should people go whole hog, be whole hog? That's a terrible metaphor. <laughs> uh, should people go whole uh, vegan pizza on this immediately? <laughs> <laughs> or like, what are the baby steps if you've been having an omnivore diet and you want to go vegan? Yeah, I think it it really depends on what you're currently doing because okay. there can be something called a Herxheimer reaction in the body where say if you, and again, this depends on the individual, but sure. most people that I have talked to, coached, spoken over the past, you know, 20 plus years doing this, do it gradually because most people are coming from some level of like, okay, I kind of eat like crap and junk food and, you know, whatever preservatives and blah, blah, blah. If you go from that to eating super clean and, you know, doing kale salads and celery juice and, and, you know, organic produce, um, the body has usually a lot of toxins to release. Mm. And if the body tries to get rid of too many toxins at one time, you have what's called a Herxheimer reaction, which the body goes into a state of shock because there's too many toxins flooding your system. That makes sense. If you're going from, say, an omnivorous diet where you're eating, you know, lean meats and organic milk and, you know, having higher quality foods, your body probably won't have that type of reaction or that level of extremity. But again, it's an individual journey. I find that for most people, though, Katie, gradual steps work best. A, because I think it gives your physiology time to adjust your digestive system, your endocrine system. Everything gets a chance to be like, oh, there's more fiber and probably different nutrients coming in. Okay, we're going to adjust to this. Body takes time to do that. But then the other part of it too is I think that mentally, one of the biggest things that gets in the way of people changing how they eat or any lifestyle choice really is the fear of deprivation. I'm going to give this thing up. I'm going to miss it. My friends are going to judge me. What's my family going to think? Oh my God. Oh my God. And those are all very, very valid concerns. I, I, I definitely get that. So I think gradual gives the body time to adjust and gradual also gives a person time to find new things to introduce into their lifestyle. So they don't feel that sense of deprivation. That's really, really important. I, I see what you're saying because I remember when like the, the lactose intolerant thing happened to me and I was so upset because it, it was almost overnight. Like I spent most of like, I would say my college years, I knew I couldn't have actual milk, but I could still handle cheese and yogurt and a lot of other stuff. And then there was just one day where my friend made me a milkshake and the next day I woke up and it was like an atom bomb had gone off in my stomach and I had to stay home all day. And that was kind of the breaking point of my ability to eat dairy. It's very strange. And so I remember just overnight all of a sudden I'm looking at all the menus and I'm like, nothing here is for me. Every sandwich has cheese. Every salad has cheese. Every fucking dish has cheese. I'm so <laughs> upset, you know? And so if, if I had had a choice, right. And it, it was more of a conscious choice instead of my body forcing me, it would be nice to be like, oh, okay. I'm going to have like this one day per week where I don't eat dairy. 
see right. how that feels and then go from there. And then with, uh, I know meatless Mondays is a thing. So maybe when people are doing vegan, they can have, okay, one day a week, we're just gonna, we're going to start there or even one meal a week. Right. Yep. And then see, you know, you try a different one every time and then slowly, oh, maybe it's a few days a week now that we're not eating meat. Yeah. And, and, and go from there. I think psychologically, whether it's we're talking about this and introducing new foods or or if you find out you're allergic to something, you have to take it out for different reasons. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of like how many people fail with their New Year's resolutions, right? And I think one of the reasons psychologically why why so many people, they say statistically that around like the third week of the new year, over 80% of people fall off what fall off the wagon. And I think it's because if you try and take too big of a leap too quickly. Most people will either feel overwhelmed by it, by the workload and trying something that new that quickly, or, you know, we just, we're not, we're not building our body's familiarity with the thing, right? It's like, okay, I had all this indulgence during the holiday and I'm going to go in and I'm just going to like start bench pressing as much weight as possible and doing, you know, as many, whatever the hell it is. Mm -hmm. I feel like switching our diets or our lifestyles are the same thing. If we try and do too much too soon, the propensity for overwhelm is way too high. Yeah. yeah so I, I just think small steps, I, I don't know. I just feel like small steps are better for long-term success. Yeah. That's what I always tell people too, because I'm a huge proponent of meditation. And so people will ask me like, oh, I want to meditate every day. I want to meditate for, I want to get into transcendental meditation immediately. And I want to do it for an hour every day. And I'm like, no, that's not, it's not going to, I mean, good luck. <laughs> uh, if you can jump into the deep end that quickly, go for it. But I would always tell people like, even if you just sit there for one minute and notice your breathing, that counts. And like, go from there. Don't try to do the huge thing right away. Like you're saying, or even I find for myself, sometimes there's just too many thoughts that I'm hearing. So it's, it's a lot easier to put on a guided meditation and listen to someone instead of immediately just going to like sitting in silence, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, to your point, I remember I wanted to give up on meditation when I first started. Mm -hmm. It's like, what? Well, this is insane. Like I, who are these crazy people in my head? What is going on here? <laughs> it was frightening. To talk to you. <laughs> it was frightening until I was like, oh wait, oh no, this is normal. This is good. Okay, cool. <laughs> who are all these people? You hadn't met them before? <laughs> no, I was like, these, oh, I've never heard this one. Who are you? Oh, Eugene, Eugene. Okay. Mortimer's here too. Walter, apparently you're all from the 1930s. Great. Great. <laughs> Very interesting cast characters you got going up on up there. <laughs> it's a whole it's a whole Muppet show, honestly. <laughs> but you're friends with them now. We I don't know if I'd call them friends. I think we have a we have an we have a mutual understanding. <laughs> okay. You know they come in, they try and criticize me. Everything mm -hmm. that I do, oh, you should be afraid. Don't take this risk. Don't get in that relationship. Don't do this. You're gonna die. This is a horrible idea. Remember what happened last time. I you know and I say thank guys. I I know Peanut Gallery respectfully. I know you're trying to protect me. I know you're trying to keep me from harm, but I've got to live my life. Mm. So we're going to do this together. So get the fuck in the back seat. You do not control the radio. Buckle your seatbelts. Dad's driving. <laughs> okay. I'll let you know when it's time for a bathroom break. Like I have to talk to them that way. I have to talk to them like they're children. I mean, whatever works for you. I love that. That's my <laughs> new favorite analogy for the voices in my head. Because everyone has a different relationship with that. Some people, they'll be like, oh, I feel like they're my buddies or, oh, I feel like these, they're out to get me, you know? So that's really interesting. And yeah, I, 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 I like that. I, I feel like they're just overbearing, overprotective 
somewhat cruel parental figures that are just, they're trying to keep me safe. So I like, I, I have compassion for the voices in my head because I know what their intention is, even if their methodologies are a bit twisted and fucked up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I think that uh, with the human instinct to survive, whenever there's something that's new, there's a risk there. And so the instinct is like, oh, this is unknown. Therefore, it could kill me. Completely. Even <laughs> though if the risk of actual mortality is very low. No, it's like all you're trying to do is go on a first date with a new person. <laughs> is that going to kill you? Probably not. If she hates her meal and you selected the wrong restaurant, she could stab you in the eyeball with her fork. Anything is possible. But let's look at the statistics. You're probably going to be okay. Just, you know, don't go on a motorcycle. That might be bad. (laughs) Sorry, I just had to bring it full circle. It was perfect. It was perfect. There's going to be no motorcycle dates for some time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think that I can can handle a scooter because it doesn't go that fast. But- a motorcycle. I don't know. Too much for me. Before we go, I want to ask you, I have a segment that I do with all my guests called Hot Tips, Hot Tips, Hot Tips. So tell me, Jason, if you have a bad day, maybe you put together a recipe, you thought it was going to be amazing and it just is really gross. Or (laughs) you listen back to a podcast episode you're about to put out, didn't turn out the way you want, or I don't know, whatever a shitty day looks like for you. You're in a bad mood. How do you turn that around for yourself? What's your hot tip? I feel like my touchstones, I like to call them touchstones. Okay. Two of the ones that immediately come to mind that are pretty foolproof. One is being intentionable. Intentionable. Wow, that's a new word. Hello. <laughs> intentionable. Inten- I'm intentionable about. Uh... <laughs> I love it. That's okay. So we're, our first tip is. <laughs> laugh Making at yourself. Up new words. Yes, and laugh at yourself at any <laughs> any possible opportunity. Um, <laughs> the second tip is being intentional about spending time with my animals. I have mm. I have five. I have four cats and a miniature French bulldog wow. who looks like a gremlin bat piglet rhino cub. She looks like she's about five animals in one. So animals and just the fact that they are always unconditionally loving and so mm. playful and they they could give a shit if i'm having the worst day if i want to kill myself or if i just you know won an emmy like they don't care they're like dad we don't we just love you no matter what mm. so i think time with animals is very restorative and the other two things is when i make a point to go out in nature go out and get on a hike here in la go to the ocean just put my body in the water that is a really good mental reset. And the third thing is music and specifically like music from my childhood for some reason mm. seems to be like a thing that can just snap me back into a better mood. So I grew up listening to a lot of Motown, listening to a lot of old soul music. So if I put on, you know, a Stevie Wonder record or an Aretha Franklin record, and I do mean records, I love me some vinyl. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think animals, nature, and music are three touchstones that are, are pretty effective. It's very healing. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I I think we all have to see a picture of your dog now. So I'm excited to go check it out. What's your dog's name? Her name is Bella. Bella. Okay. Bella. Yeah. Yeah. I do the same thing with my dog. I feel like she's also a lot of animals combined into one. She's a little uh, 
terrier chihuahua mix and she's uh, got wiry white hair and she has a little mohawk. And so some people think she looks like a lamb. I call her a little bear. She also just kind of looks like a falcor (laughs) 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 or or a gremlin or anything that's white and fluffy. She's been compared to a Q-tip with legs. She's, she's, (laughs) she's everything. So I I understand that impulse and uh, you know, animals, they never judge you. And they're just there for you. And it's that, that unconditional love. Although I think my dog's do- love is pretty conditional upon food, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's better than people's uh, love being conditional upon other things, I guess. So Very true. Great. That's pretty simple. That's pretty simple. That's an easy exchange, isn't it? You food, love? Okay, we'll do it. Great deal. <laughs> There you go. Um, so if people want to check you out, obviously they should be listening to your podcast called This Might Get Uncomfortable with your co-host Whitney. And what else? What else do we have going on out there? Yeah. So Whitney and I have this great brand called Wellevator, which is the, I guess, the the parent company that produces the podcast. Sure. We have a lot of really great free resources for mental health and emotional wellness. The website is wellevator.com. It's spelled the hipster way. So it's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Um, and yeah, I've, we've got a great YouTube channel with all of the podcast episodes. We've got episodes every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then for the veganism stuff and for recipes, people can just Google my name, my website, just Jason Robel, W R O B E L. And I've got like 300 something recipe videos on YouTube and nutrition tips. And we've got the food, we've got the mental health. So yeah, check out Wellevator and check out my website. It's where you can stalk me. I love it. I love it. Yes. I think that everyone should get out there and stalk you and your dogs and, uh, or your dog, sorry, dog singular. Uh, I feel like maybe that was foreshadowing though, Katie, maybe maybe, am I getting another dog? I don't know. Am I psychic now? Maybe Maybe you are. (laughs) And now that we're living in a post-vax world, hopefully I'll get to taste some of your cooking soon. That would be rad. It'd be so great to meet in person. And thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that it made you feel a little bit less weird about whatever brain stuff that you've got going on, you know, and that it makes you feel less alone. I think that's the biggest goal that I have with this show is to let you know you are not alone. Whatever you are struggling with, it is part of the human condition and there is help. There is support out there for you. So If you enjoyed this, then please write us a review, follow on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss out on future episodes, and share this with a friend who might enjoy it. And on the subject of reviews, I haven't done this before, but I feel like it might be time to read a few of these reviews that we have on Apple Podcasts. So this comes from Waddy McFly. The title is Fresh and Lovely. He says... The concept is so nice and refreshing. They focus on serious topics, but it's nice to laugh about them every once in a while. For sure, check this out if you need a pick-me-up. Thank you! I love to be your pick-me-up. I love it. Thank you! We have one from Brian Says That, and the headline is a bunch of exclamation point emojis. Honest, funny, and fabulous. Oh, what a compliment. Katie goes there. It's such an enjoyable listen because she's relatable. She doesn't pretend to have it all figured out. Yeah, that's true. And she gives thought-provoking takes on how we can take care of ourselves, all while watching and hearing her work her way through it on her own. She's a gift to us all. Thank you, Brian says that. You 
are a gift. And full disclosure, actually, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Brian says that is the screen name for my friend Brian Pataka, who just launched his own podcast, Brian Breaks Character. So thank you for supporting other podcast creators, Brian. And if you're an actor, you should go check out his podcast. He has a lot of really great advice for other actors. So what else... How do I end this? How do I end this episode where we just all connected with each other so intimately and in such a beautiful way? Well, save the date again, July 17th. We're going to launch our exclusive club that has all the extra bonus content and Zoom calls and a private community. I want you to be a part of it. So just save that date. And uh, don't forget to follow at Crying Behind Pod at Katie Dahl, and of course, at Wellevator for Jason Robel's content. And until next time, stay cool, stay present, stay sunny. Yep, here, here.